Yo, what is going on, everyone? What is cooking? This is scriptwriter Steve. You reached my podcast, Barbecue to Movies. Today is June 23rd, 2021. It's currently 3.36 a.m. in the morning, and I'm here talking to you right before I go to bed. You know, I, I got a busy week in front of me, but you know, I still had to make time for you. I love doing this, by the way. I really love podcasting, so I'm just going to keep doing it. I don't care who's listening. By the way, thank you so much if you're listening to me right now and you're sharing it. You know, again, you can reach me on any type of podcast platform out there. I'm on all of them. I'm offending people all over the entire road, apparently. Not too popular yet, because I think if I were too popular, then, you know, people would be looking to cancel me. They already are. They're already sending me hate mail. So I'm getting hate, hate mail from, like, every single areas of the globe over here. So it's pretty cool. It doesn't get to me. I don't care. People can think what they think. You know, they can think I'm a, I'm a, you know, angry white supremacist. Usually that, that that's what it is. Even though, even if I keep telling them I'm actually 100% Chinese and they see my, they see my website on scriptwritersteve.com and then they say, wait a minute, you look Chinese, but I still don't believe you. It's all a ruse because a guy who's a 100% Chinese can't be a conservative and they can't like Trump because apparently Trump caused caused the coronavirus, the Wuhan virus or the China virus, and you should be offended and you should love Joe Biden because he just loves you. I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I tell you what, I have not been getting any love from the Democrats because they closed down my business. They made me pretty much close to broke during COVID and uh, they, didn't, they didn't want to open up and they're still... They're still dragging their feet when it comes to opening up. I really want things to open up. And get this, the scary thing about it is that we may be in for another lockdown. Not for COVID, but for global warming. Yeah, apparently there are there are people talking about quote-unquote lockdowns. And we're talking lockdowns saying, hey, you may not be able to travel that too much. You may not be able to eat meat. You may not even be able to you know, own certain things or have as many children because of global warming. There, there's even a debate whether or not to put global warming as the cause of death on death certificates. I'm not joking about that. Isn't that crazy? That is completely nuts. And, you know, <laughs> very unhealthy versions of intellectuals are taking control of our entire country, of our entire world, because we're giving them too much respect. All right? Well, <laughs> Sorry, you know, I'm getting too worked up about this. I'm getting way too much worked about. I got to slow myself down. So what is today's podcast about? It's about improving one's mental health. Yeah, improving one's mental health. I know when I say that, you know, some of the dudes out there will say, well, Steve, we're men. We don't talk about mental health. You know, we don't, we're not mentally unhealthy. Well, the truth about it is that we are all mentally unhealthy and we are all at the same time mentally healthy. You know, we go from, you know, we sway from unhealthy thinking to, to un, un, unhealthy thinking to healthy thinking to average thinking all throughout the entire day. Like just right now when I was talking about, you know, Joe Biden and all that, I was feeling myself going to that unhealthy side of myself, getting triggered. So I had to pull myself back, right? So what is the difference between a healthy person and an unhealthy person? Well, a healthy person can recognize when they're triggered and they can pull themselves back. They can take off their, they, they can take their foot off that throttle before they just throttle themselves, overthrottle their brain, overthrottle their emotions, and just go full on super ego crazy, right? And just, you know, when the podcast stops, they're going to still be stuck into this angry mode. And, you know, there's some people who are like that. I've met people who podcast and they sound exactly like the people who they are on the air. And they're just, they're just always angry. They're just always angry. I don't, I don't know what's wrong with them. So again, for me, I, I kind of overplay my emotions because you know, it's more exciting, right? It's really more exciting. You meet me in person. I'm still very much animated. You know, I still love to entertain. I still love to crack jokes. But you know, again, I'm a much more toned down version than what you're getting right now. So again, you know, Today's podcast is about a very, very serious topic. It's very, it's very, very serious. So, you know, I don't want to, you know, <laughs> you know, laugh about it too much. But again, it's good to laugh. It's good to take things easy. It's good to live in the present, you know, and not get, you know, just uh, locked up uh, with the past. 
Too much of us are living in the past. Way too many of us. I would say the vast majority of the people who I meet are always complaining about the past, something they can't control. And then they're worrying about the future, something they can, really can't control. Right? What do we have, a time machine? We can't go in the past. We can't go in the future. And guess what? They all fail to live in the present. And that's what the Democrats want us to do. They want us to live in the past, complain about white supremacy. They want us to live in the past, complain about Trump and all those different types of things, about all the bad things that happened way, way in the past, even down to like voter suppression and everything, things that happened in the past. And then they want us to worry about global warming and all this climate change stuff, which most likely is not happening, things which they can't prove, and they want you to think thousands of years into the future. And what's happening right now? Crime is happening right now. Kids are getting gunned down in the streets. There's homeless problems everywhere. Mental health is going down the drain. We have an opioid adem- I mean, epidemic and we, people are dying. 500,000 people died of opioids and Joe Biden and them are saying nothing. They're not living in the present. Look at the border. The border is completely open. No, no problem here. Climate change is our existential threat. Thousand years in, into the future. Thousand years into the future, right? <sighs> Again, working myself up. I got to calm myself down. So again, that's the main thing when it comes to improving one, one's mental health. We want to be centered. We want to be able to discuss these things, or you know, go certain areas. You know, enjoy your friends and and every and uh, you know, family, without living in this triggered state where you're just angry, worried, depressed, envious, jealous, all of these things, and. You know, there's no doubt about it. All of us will go there throughout the course of the day, maybe the course of the week, maybe the course of the year. But then it's really important to pull ourselves back, to recognize when we are going down that unhealthy road. And that's really the only difference between someone who's living an unhealthy mental lifestyle versus a healthy. The healthy person can pull themselves back. That's the only thing. So this entire podcast, again, it's about improving one's mental health. But before I go down this whole rabbit hole of mental health and express my two cents, I want to first get out all the freaking disclaimers, okay? Because I don't want to get sued, and I don't want my friends who are doctors to point their finger at me and wave their finger at me like, like, like how they always do. But I got to disclose this, that I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist, not a psychiatrist. You know, I'm not a behavior specialist or nothing like that. And I'm actually a college dropout. I only attended one and a half semesters of college. I say that over and over again on my podcast, right? And again, to repeat it, I'm not a therapist of any kind. I'm not a life coach. I don't make a living doing this. I'm not a minister, a counselor, or nothing like that. But the funny thing I like to tell you about, to disclose everything, is that I have a lot of friends who are psychologists, and they're probably listening to this podcast right now. And they love my podcast, by the way. And... um, Guess who they come to complain to or tell all of their feelings, their emotions, and whether or not they're on the right track or not uh, with their life and, you know, just someone to talk to? They come to me. They come to me because they, and they tell me, Steve, you're, you know, you're, you're such a great therapist, even though you're not a therapist because you know, there's someone they can talk to. You know, people who are actual therapists or psychologists, a lot of times they don't have anyone to talk to. It's a real big problem with it. The, there's like a mental, I guess there's a, uh, uh, not a mental problem, but there's like a, I guess there's an epidemic of, of, of uh, psychologists who actually, you know, suffer through mental issues because they listen to all of these issues there every single day of their life. But who do they get to talk to? You know, who do, who has, who has time to understand them? And, you know, for me, I love talking, you know, for me, I, the reason why I started to t- learn about, you know, mental health and psychology and, and all those other different things is because, again, it all came from being a writer, you know, being a screenwriter, writing, a perf- writing the perfect characters. But, and, um, you know, I had no intention of actually ever learning about mental health. But the truth about it is that, you know, again, mental health is called character growth in, 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 in movies and all that. So mental health in real life, it's, char- it's called character growth in scripts. It's the same exact thing. So... Now, I can tell you, so I can tell you with great confidence, I am quote-unquote somewhat in, co- in quotes, big-time quotes, like a behavior specialist, all right? And that's purely because I'm a professional storyteller. You know, I can tell the way certain personalities are going to react. I can even, though when I meet you, I can kind of almost read you. A lot of times people have said, 
wow, Steve, that's incredible. You know, you, you can kind of read me really, really well. And, and that's the truth about it is, and it's purely from studying behaviors over and over again. So now why, again, do I know so much about behaviors? Well, it's, again, it comes down to screenwriting. Now, what's the main difference between an amateur and a professional storyteller? I think I told people about this yesterday. But an amateur storyteller will write a story that they conjured up over in their head. While a professional storyteller will create believable characters that are canon to reality um, and then let those characters write the story for them. So that's what I do. So I learn as much as I can about real personalities. I'm always learning it every single day because there's different versions of every single personality type out there. And then I plop them into movies. Like, you know, my protagonist, my hero, will have all the same problems as this other person who I know. And then I can kind of call upon their things and, and everything like that. And, you know, again, when people read that character, they say, wow, that really reminds me of so-and-so. Um, and, and again... Or, or, or there's another person who I know because they're the same type of personality type. And then they'll find out like, wow, this, the character growth of them is the same way, you know, that person would resolve their mental issues in real life. And that's the truth. So you, when you start to write these characters, you kind of get to know real life personalities. And of course, again, no, you know, when you write characters, no character is perfect. And, uh, you know, and, and, and more than likely, again, like I said, they'll remind you of someone, even yourself. And again, that's because they're based upon a certain personality type. And they all have flaws, some that are surface, some which cut deep to the soul. And even if there's a superhero on the silver screen, like say Tony Stark, their behavior is believable because again, it's real. It is 100% real. Like Tony Stark, um, he's what's known as a typical type three achiever on the Enneagram. And uh, again, very much into image, accomplishing, you know, the moral side, kind of like, you know, not exactly, you know, too moral. Can, you know, he will always struggle with the, the morality of his decisions, right? And in real life, you have Steve Jobs, who is very much like that, you know, very much into image, you know, always had to wear the sweater and he always had to have a look a certain way. You know, Steve Jobs never purchased uh, never got real license plates ever on any of his cars. They were always these these uh, paper license plates. And why did he do that? And I think he never even had license plates on it. And why did he do that? Because he just thought he could get away with it. And he always did because he told the cops, do you know who I am? I'm Steve Jobs. Again, he had the typical type of achiever mentality. And again, you had Tony Stark, Steve Jobs, same, same. And there's a lot of people out there in this world who have that same type of personality type, but they're different versions. So every day I'm learning about different versions, right? So what am I getting to? Uh, well, maybe what I'm about to say, everything I'm about to say about it is maybe, or about what you're about to hear may help you. And, uh, you know, what else do you have to lose, right? So I'm going to start this journey of uh, finding a better you uh, once we get back from this commercial break. And then I'm going to gather my thoughts together, my notes over here, and then I'm just going to shoot from the hip. And we're going to go down this journey together. And hopefully we'll end up somewhere that we'll all like. All right. So don't tune out. Don't tune out. And if, or if you stop driving and you have to drop off the kids or whatever like that, tune back in, right? Just you know, hit the pause button on my podcast and then hit the play button right after these messages. Okay, talk to you later. Hey, what's going on, everyone? It's scriptwriter Steve with a shameless plug for my company, Dream Weddings Hawaii. So if you want to get married in Hawaii, if you want to get your vows renewed in Hawaii, and if you want some family pictures in Hawaii, make sure you check me out. So my website is dreamweddingshawaii.com. So that's dream, weddings with a S, Hawaii spelled out, dot com. All right, I'm back from that commercial break. I hope you are too. I hope you didn't tune out. We're going to get into this, right? We're going to get into this. Mental health, finding a better you got some good adrenaline music playing because we need that going forward all right i'm turning this down okay i hope you're back and uh, i'm gonna put this music on pause right here okay yeah i do everything live editing by the way so now let's just get straight into it i'm not one to like you know beat around the bush with this so to fix anything 
say from a broken car, bicycle, or even like, you know, you're troubleshooting a stubborn brisket that just doesn't taste good. One has to know how it works, what the inner, I guess, mechanisms are like, how they all mesh, mesh together, right? You know, after all, you wouldn't want to bring your car, you know, to a mechanic who didn't know what a spark plug is or was, right? And how it, you know, I guess worked with the whole engine combustion and all those different types of things, right? You know, if you ever took your your car into a and a car into a mechanic and you said, hey, you know, the spark plugs need to be changed, and all of a sudden he says, well, what's a spark plug? Well, you know, you got a problem, right? Well, the same rules apply for mental health. If you're gonna fix yourself, you're gonna have to completely understand yourself, all right? And what do I mean by completely? Well, first of all, it's more than just taking an, an honest look at the inner workings of your soul. Um, primarily, what I mean is by identifying the fears that power you, the fears that can trigger you, that can create agendas and keep you in an angered state. And I hope you took note when I used the word fear, all right, because it's much more than just another four-letter F word, all right? So fear it's the engine that powers all of us. I don't care who you are in this world, you are powered by fear, all right? The better you understand yourself, the better you can fix yourself. But you're not going to understand yourself until you get a grip of your fears. So understanding your engine, your fear, is the first step, okay? So there are many ways to understanding who you are, your fears, like that. And there are personality tests that you can take out there. Um, you know, there's the Myers-Briggs. Uh, there's many times a psychologist can help you get to that point. They can help you identify your fears and your triggers and all that. And there's so many self-help books out there that you can get that will help identify, you know, your personality types or, you know, where you may come from, everything, so forth. I tend to personally enjoy using what they call the Enneagram. Now, it's spelled E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. So what I'm going to talk about right now is specific to the Enneagram. And you can learn more about this by just going onto my website, uh, scriptwritersteve.com. Sorry, I stumbled with my words over there. It's spelled script, C-R-I-P-T, writer, Steve, S-T-E-V-E.com. So scriptwritersteve.com. And then you just click on the upper right-hand corner on personality types and you'll see nine different main personality types out there and you can go through all of them in great detail. Now, what I'm going to do right now um, in just a little while is I'm going to run through the nine main personality types on the Enneagram. And maybe you may be able to identify with one of them. I'm going to go through the positives and the negatives, how each personality T-type, um, I guess, thinks when they're healthy, how their fear works for them, and again, how their fear works against them, all right? And again, this is why I really, really enjoy the Enneagram. And I tell you what, using this, I've been able to write the best characters out there. I've been able to identify people in my life. And I use it every single day of my life when I talk to people, uh, when I, when I, um, when I communicate with clients, uh, even when I even talk to my own friends, because there are some people out there who can handle, you know, a very strong personality like me. And then there's some people who can't. So I have to dial it back. I have to dial back, you know, um, I guess my alpha male type of, you know, personality where I just kind of push things and I want to fix them and reform them and, and, and do things like that. But I realized that there's some people who may not like that at all. I mean, I have a friend who is uh who loves to just they're like a free spirit. They just love to travel the world and just, you know, um you know, enjoy life for what it is and they they don't want to be settled down because they all, they have this fear of just, you know, missing out. But at the same time of, of being this great enthusiast that just travels the world, you know, their friends and family have told them, hey, you know, it's time to get serious with, with life. But they don't need me as a friend telling them that, even though I think the same thing, right? I'm, I think the same thing. Hey, wait a minute, you should settle down. But I'm not going to tell them that. I'm not going to tell them that because, again, they're not looking, you know, from that advice from me. And, and on top of that, I can understand where they're coming from. Because, because, again, maybe settling down doesn't make them happy, Right? And even though if it's the right choice, it doesn't make them happy. Just because it's a choice that I think doesn't mean it's, doesn't exactly mean it's right. Now, the old me would definitely say they're doing something wrong 
and, and, and I'm thinking something right, all right? And why is it that? Because I am the first type of personality I am going to be talking about right now. So the first type of personality out there is called a type one reformer. These people are the compulsive reformers. When I say reformer, we are the fixers, the referees of the, the entire world. We are the ones pointing the finger, telling you what's wrong to do. So, hey, you know what? If you're drinking and driving, we'll be the first one to take away the keys. First one to say, hey, you know what? You better not drink and drive. I got a problem with it. A lot of times, people like me, we don't drink. We don't We don't drink at all. I don't drink. I, I don't drink at all. We don't use any drugs. Um, President Trump, he's another type one reformer. He doesn't drink. He doesn't use drugs. Not at all. And he never, never has, right? Because again, he's always out there to try to do the right thing. Now, what is wrong with the, uh, with the reformer? Well, we love to argue. We love to debate. We are drawn to debate like a magnet. We love to tell people they're doing, <laughs> we love to tell people that they're doing something wrong. We love to blow the whistle. So they make really good, you know, this type of personality type, not only do they make really good judges, but they make really good referees. And again, telling people to live in a box of rules. Oh, we just love that because we have all these set of rules that we can have in our life, right? And, you know, at the unhealthy point, we are just argumentative. So if you've ever met a person who's very argumentative a lot of times, a lot of times that's a reformer being very, very unhealthy. So now, again, you can see how it works. There's a good part of this, good part of their fear, and a good and how it works against them. So what is their fear? What is the fear of a type 1 reformer? It's the fear of doing the wrong thing, of, of fear of doing the morally wrong thing. Now, when I say morals, I put that in quotes because... Morals is what that personality type determines right or wrong. Osama bin Laden could have, could have actually been a type one reformer. A lot of terrorists, their leaders are these type one reformers out there. So again, their, their morals differ greatly from me, but our personality types may actually be the same. All right. That's how it works. Okay. So again, what's the good thing about a reformer? Well, if you have a person, like say a leader, a leader of a church, a pastor, type one reformer will make sure his flock stays on the narrow and straight path. On the opposite side, what would be wrong with a pastor? Oh, I bet he argues a lot. He tells people what's, he, he can't stop telling people what's wrong with them, right? And a lot of people don't want to be around him because he'll just pick out their flaws all the time and he won't stop. And especially if he's unhealthy, he won't stop nitpicking. He'll go to a nice dinner for everyone and he'll start telling everyone what's wrong with the food, what's wrong with this person, what's wrong with this, and he can't stop. And that's that reformer has to pull himself back, all right? Okay, so that's enough for the type one. We'll go on. Again, we only have nine of these, so we don't have very much, and maybe you can relate to some of them. That's my entire thing. So we're trying to figure out the engine that powers your fear, right? Or actually your fear, which is the engine, right? It's both one and the same. So the, the type two personality type is called a helper. A helper, and we're going to word, add the word compulsive in front of them. These are the people who are just so overly generous. They're compulsive helpers. You know, when you, when you arrive, you, when you arrive at the doorstep, they'll open the door for you. They'll ask, how are you doing, Steve? Is your day so great? Can I get you a soda? Can I get you all of this? Can I? And they're always giving, 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 giving. So natural. Can I take you to the airport? Can I pick you up from the airport? How is your day going? Can I, can I fix you some lunch? Can I get you some water? Can I, what can I do to make your life better for yourself? They're at many times so sacrificial. And a lot of times, uh, uh, a lot of women are are helpers. They just love to help their their um, their husbands, their friends, their families. They're so generous. Uh, my mom is a type two helper, and uh, I know like a good friend of mine is also. She's also a type two helper, and they're just so great to be around. You know, I have a couple of friends who are type two helpers, and they're just so like you just. Like it is so obvious, it is so easy to to pick them out in a crowd and say, and you'll tell yourself, "Wow, that person is really, really generous. He's a type two helper." Now, what what is why are they actually helping out? Well, a lot of times, and most of the time, a type two helper, they have a fear of not being loved, not being wanted, so they're helping out in a way to buy your love, you know, or, or to buy, to buy your, your validation, your appreciation in a way of bribing you. Oh, I'm helping you out this much. And that's why you should like me. This is why they're trying to, this is how they're trying to get you to, to like you more because they want you to say, wow, this person is so nice. Now, when they're not at their best, 
these people are compulsively helpful, they attach a string to every single act of their generosity. A string is attached, right? So now, when they're not healthy, they will call upon these strings to start pulling you. So for example, a wife who was very helpful to her husband, and in, especially when they started dating, and all of a sudden, they will say, well, you know, I really gave up my job for you. I really gave up this, and you can't even do this for me. There's that string to be pulled, right? You, you know, I, I, I remember a long time ago, two months ago, I washed your car for you. I took your car out for all of these different types of things. And her husband is thinking, whoa, wait, I thought you just did that out of, out of the kindness of your heart. But now she's pulling a string on that saying, well, I did that for you, and I didn't get anything in return, right? Shouldn't I get something in return? Now, let me tell you about this. True generosity has no strings attached. We all know that. But to a helper, they think there is one. And they think there should be some type of, I guess, payback here. And this is when they're unhealthy. And they start pulling on strings back and forth with, with everyone, back and forth, back and forth with everyone. And, and all of a sudden, they're manipulating everyone. And their friends start saying, wow, you know, this person, I thought they were very helpful, but now... They seem to be really controlling me with all the, the things that they've done. You know, I've, I helped clean up their property and now they're saying, hey, can I, can I throw a party on this property right here? I, I've had friends who do those things. They said, hey, wait a minute. I help you, you know, you know um, wash your driveway. Hey, can I even borrow your car? You know, remember that time I you know, did, did your driveway for you? Can I borrow your car? You know, you know, I, you know I promise to take it back, but you, you know what I did for you, right? So, so that's what an unhealthy helper does. Okay, moving on. The type three achiever. This is one of my favorite personalities to write. It's one of the personality types that I actually fear the most. The type three achiever, they are what they are, a compulsive achiever. They are your Tony Starks. They, they put their mind to it and they can accomplish almost anything they put their mind to it. It's amazing. So if they want that nice body, they'll work for it. They'll get the nice body. They want the nice car, they'll get the nice car. You know, they, they want the big business and they work hard and they, they get the great business, right? They're hard workers. They're really, really hard, right? And what, and what do they fear? Well, they're, they have a fear of not being validated, not being recognized. They want, they want to be recognized and they want to go down in history as someone, someone, something, someone very familiar. Image is everything. They are concerned. They have a fear of not being recognized. So image is their primary, primary concern. They want to look good and feel good. You know, again, Deion Sanders, I think he had a saying of, you know, if you look good, you feel good. If you feel good, you play good. You get, you play good, you get paid good, right? And it's very much true. And Deion Sanders, is a type three achiever. Now, the bad thing about the type three achiever is that while again, you know, they're the type three achiever, by the way, before I go into the bad parts, they are some of the most charismatic people you ever meet. They're great storytellers. Um, you know, they're even greater storytellers than the type ones. Usually, usually the type ones and the type threes are really good storytellers, but the type three can always trump them because they'll just captivate an entire audience. You know, when you see them, they're, they, people just naturally gravitate to them because they're just so likable. They're so charismatic. And, and they can sell you anything. You know, you can, like when they say, you know, a, a good salesperson can sell ice to an Eskimo. Well, that's a type three achiever. Even though the Eskimo doesn't need it, he'll sell them ice, right? So that's the scary part about an achiever. They're so charismatic, you don't know what's the truth because, you know, are they actually this great person? Do they actually own this great house? You know, do they own, uh, you know, are they actually that skinny? Do they have abs like that? Or is it all Facebook filters? Are they renting that car? Are they renting that house, leasing that house just for a day or, or like, a, or like a, a month just so they can pretend that they're actually wealthy? Some of the greatest con artists out there are type three achievers. Um, you know, those, those men who con women into falling in love with them, they marry them and steal all their money. That's a type three achiever. I actually had a client, unfortunately, a wedding couple, and then she got conned. By this type three achiever. She met him online, fell in love with him. We married them and we found out when I didn't get paid, I had one of my friends who's a collector, uh, who was into collection. We did some research and this dude was known by five different names, was already married. He had different homes in different names and he was wanted by different collection agencies under different names. 
And then, so when we tried to collect on the money, we called, we actually called up my, um, what my other client, the, the girl, and she said, yeah, that marriage fell apart. When he came back, she did not know who he was, and he, he started taking all of her money. A con artist. That's a type three achiever. So when they're not healthy, they can be a con artist. And they are, <laughs> it's the worst because they're so good, you don't even know it hit them. And this is a, and I can tell you this. Out of all the personality types out there, and I can tell you, I can read a lot of people, right? I can't read the type three achiever, which is scary because they may look like they have, they may look like a type one. They may look, may look like a type two. They may look like all the different types, but they're faking it. It's all fake, all a ruse. Very, very scary. Moving on, the type four individualist. The type four, indi- oh wait, by the way, before I move on to type four, the type three achiever, that can be, a lot of Americans are like that. A lot of politicians are like this, by the way. And again, they're very much into themselves, image-oriented. Image you know, the Facebook people, the Instagram selfie people. I'm, I'm going to the gym. I got to take a picture of myself. Here's my nice car that I have. Here's a nice house. Here's what I did. They just love to show off, show off, show off themselves. Now, there's a healthy version of this and an unhealthy version of this. And even though I say it's what the, the type of personality type I fear the most some of my really good friends are type three achievers, right? And again, you know, there's nothing wrong with them. So I mean, if, if I make it sound as though I fear them and they're bad people, they're not, okay? Type three achievers, everyone can have a good and a bad to themselves, all right? Type four individualists, these people, they're kind of like type threes. They love to talk about themselves. And they, at sometimes they could be very charismatic, but most of the time, the type, this type four individualist, they're introverts. They're, they are artists. A lot of times, though, I like to call these people metaphoric thinkers, right? And what do they fear themselves? Not having identity, not knowing who they are, not knowing what their purpose is. So they spend their entire life searching for who they are, their place in this world. And um, this type of personality, out of all other personality types, they have a chance of being more depressed than others because, again, they just don't know their place. They think society is out there against them. They love to play the victim card. And in some, t- some cases, they put themselves, they cast themselves um, out, I guess, um, outside of society kind of on purpose, right? And uh, you can kind of tell who they are sometimes by the way they dress. Like a lot of artists, like you know, Elton John, Prince, Michael Jackson. Most artists that we know a lot of times are type four individualists. It's all about themselves, all about their journey. And the image that they portray um, is more about um, kind of like giving the, it's kind of like giving the um, the society the middle finger, but at the same time, it's an expression of the rebellion towards society, right? And it's, you know how the achiever is very much into their image, so they will always wear nice clothes, right? But the achiever will, will wear nice clothes as an example to, uh, I guess to show off their achievements. They'll wear the nice Gucci, the Prada, the nice suits to show off how wealthy they become or, or how much they've achieved. Versus an individualist who wear, you know, who's very much in their image, well, that their, their clothes will be an expression of their personality, their inner soul, of how outrageous they actually are or, or how they want to be looked at, right? So Elton John will wear really big hats. You know, Prince will dress in all purple. And these are just, you know, again, they're really, really out there. So some people who wear the big earrings or get piercings already or tattoo their whole face. Again, these are usually type fours out there. And again, they're always searching for who they are. And they they will always be on this search. Now, the good thing about this is that Again, without these individualists, we wouldn't have art. So the really interesting thing about these individualists is that, again, we, we might as well call them artists, is that they give us an introspect to life that we usually never have seen because they're so introspective and they express themselves so well with poetry and art and music. So a lot of times, this is why you hear a lot of love songs, which we love to sing, which we love to listen to, are all depressing, Right, most of the most of the love songs are heartbreak songs, but they sound good. And this is that weird thing about this personality, where they can really make, you know, the the depressing things sound really, really good, very, very attractive. And that's why this type of personality type is kind of attracted to the dark, but they still make it sound very good. You know, they they make it. They they kind of again metaphorically change their attitude. Say, you know, the dark can also be very good. So. Like what I said before, they're very much metaphoric thinkers. Now, what's wrong with these individualists? 
Now, because they're always lost in an identity, they can take that a little too far. So all of a sudden, a lot of transgenders, right? A lot of gays back in the 1980s were of this type of personality type where they're completely lost. And that's why you had the, a lot of gays are very artistic. They're very much into hairstyling and fashion and everything like that. Because again, they're expressing themselves through their, their art, right? But the wrong thing about this is that they can take things to way too far. Like say, for example, they can start mutilating, mutilating their body or they can start, you know, identifying themselves as like, well, now I am a man, even though they're a woman. And again, that is a true issue there. And people don't want to talk about, you know, gender dysphoria, but this gender dysphoria is associated with this personality type. And that's the reason why even after uh, men and women who actually complete the lower bottom portion plumbing, they are still depressed and they still commit suicide. Even after they transition into a woman or a man, they've gotten the whole surgery. They're not happy. And they figured out, I thought I would find myself now, but I haven't. So you're finding a lot of transgenders, by the way, who are detransitioning. So I would say a lot of, you know, gays nowadays, in the modern day gay is no longer this type of personality type. They are very much confident in their sexuality, but, and they're not, they're no longer defined by their sexuality, but the, um, the modern day transgender, <laughs> they are still lost. They're still searching. And this may just, may just be a phase that they're going through. And that's why, again, a lot of them are detransitioning. So again, what's wrong with this personality type when their fears grab a hold of them and they no longer feel, you know, that they can associate with society? Well, they start rebelling back and they start living in this narrative, this metaphoric narrative that they've created for their, created for themselves, right? And what even, what even gets worse is that when you have a bunch of these metaphoric thinkers all together, and they start forming groups together and say, now since we all think together, we all think alike, we must be correct. And the truth is that they're not. And they actually need some very, very serious help because you're still depressed and you're, you're still much, very much playing the victim card, which this type of personality does almost to a fault. So it, it's one of those things. We can, you can get more into this later on, but I think this getting into the type form individualist, that is a podcast all to itself. I don't want to spend any more time in that. Next one, the type five intellect. <laughs> these are your quote unquote compulsive intellects who had the word compulsive in front of them. These are people who are very, very smart. We're talking like genius level smart. Um, these people have more of a relationship with books than people. They're like, um, they're like, I would say Dr. Fauci. Before I thought Dr. Fauci was an intellect. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. Um, but at once, there's a lot of people who are very, very smart. And you have to remember this. Intellectuals, they have a fear of not knowing. So, and that's the reason why they do what they do. And, be, and uh, they have also a fear of interacting with society. So what happens is that this person who's an intellect will want to interact with society, interact with the real world, but they feel they haven't collected enough data to do so. So they go back into their laboratory, they go back into their, their cave and they start researching and researching and researching and coming up with philosophies and theories on how to actually interact with regular people. And they keep going back into the laboratory and eventually they find themselves in a bubble of just other intellects talking to other intellects and then theorizing on what and how they should interact with regular society. On, and on, they, they come up with ideas on how society should live, even though they've never lived in actual society. And this is where we get stupid theories like lockdowns for global warming, right? This is how we get different intellectual theories about how white supremacy still exists in America, even though you can't find any white supremacists, because again, they're not taking the, the time to actually go out there and interact with people. You know, if the intellect were, uh, I guess, an animal, there would be an owl all the, way, all, the, all the way up there on the perch, looking down with those eyes, but never interacting with people, right? Never interacting, never taking, never taking that step. And a lot of times, this is where the cliche comes out from the absent-minded professor. You know, the professor, let's say, for example, um, Einstein is your typical intellect right there. And people say, wow, Einstein is so great. He's so smart. He's amazing. 
right? Do you know Einstein did nothing with his theory of relativity? Absolutely nothing. He came up with E equals MC squared, right? But did he create nuclear power with it? Absolutely not. He just theorized it. He just came up with a theory. He actually once worked as a patent clerk, and he was very bad at it. He wouldn't show up on time. He was very, you know, he got, I'm not sure if he got fired from it, but I I read that he was so bad at doing it, right? And um, he wasn't a very good professor at all either. And that's why a lot of times you see um, in colleges, the professors themselves they're not really teaching the class a lot of times. It's their, it's their assistant who teaches the class, right? The intellect stays in the back. You know, he writes the books and the assistant does, teaches all the classes. So again, what's wrong with the intellect? Well, <laughs> they can get trapped in their mind and start screenwriting like how I do. They can get trapped in this world of fiction, coming up with theories that really aren't applicable to human life, to regular society. And this is the problem with what we had right now. Like Dr. Fauci thought, and I'm, and I, and I'm not saying he's intellect, because I, I kind of changed my mind on what type of personality type he is. I think he's more of an achiever than anything else. But I mean, he's a con artist. He's really a con artist who has, but he's not really an intellect because he doesn't spend his time in the lab and he loves the camera. Intellects don't like the camera. They love the cocoon. They love the bubble. They love the, when I say the cocoon, when we're talking about maybe the, the, the cocoon of just intellectuals talking to each other, they don't want to go out there on camera. Intellects will fear the camera most of the time. But, but just to say this, like int- intellects, they are what we call, again, the absent-minded professor, and they, they're just, they just get caught up in their mind when they're not healthy. And if, unfortunately, we take too many intellects, I guess, um, I, there, we, we take too much of their, uh, their advice as literal advice that we, that we should follow. Do you remember during COVID of all the different types of advice we got from these intellects? Like they were saying that, well, if you walk into a, a supermarket, well, COVID can just spread everywhere. But they found out through data that COVID spread very little through supermarkets. They're out there saying that masks work when the data shows that masks don't work, right? So again, these are things that the intellects are all spouting out. And now what are they telling us? That, oh, the Delta variant is very, very contagious. And it's here in America. It's here. It's even here in Hawaii. Yet how many people have had it in America? Not very many. And apparently, you know, the, the vaccines are working to stop it. Out there, the intellects were telling us we could get reinfected with COVID. And then when they analyzed the data, it proved that the odds of you getting reinfected from COVID, well, you had to die in an airplane crash and also get eaten by sharks. And then maybe you would get, I guess, reinfected with COVID. That's what your odds were. You had to be really, really, really unlucky. Again, these were what the intellects were coming up with because they were just trying to, you know, crunch data that really wasn't there, and they were just making stuff up. And this is what's wrong with the intellect. So again, you know, even though a person is intellectual, belongs into this university community, and they are a professor, and this is maybe even be their specialty, take what they say with a grain of salt because they may be an unhealthy version of themselves. Right? Again, it was the intellects, by the way, that gave birth to the coronavirus. They thought that it would be so such a great idea to find a cure for a coronavirus that would be highly contagious and deadly to humans by creating it in a lab. What type of stupid person thinks that? An intellect. An intellect who's caught up in their mind and doesn't think of real world consequences. No one said, hey, wait a minute, maybe it could escape a lab. Maybe dealing with this lab that actually is not very high level, you know, uh, security and, th- and, and uh, viruses have leaked out there before. Maybe we shouldn't use them. Maybe we're being too much of a, of a mad scientist. No one said that. They all thought all the intellects got into a room together. The group think of intellects and said, hey, this is a great idea to do gain of function research on this virus. All right, moving on to type six loyalists. Three more people, just three more, you know, and right after this, we're going to go straight into the solutions, okay? The, the type six loyalists, these are people who are followers, all right? And why do they follow? Because out of all the fears that there are in this world, 
they fear themselves the most. They fear holding opinion. Holding opinion, they don't have trust in themselves because they don't think they're either smart enough, have been raised right enough. They don't think they've experienced life the right way. And a lot of this comes from this ongoing fear of abandonment. And a lot of people who come from broken families have this. They don't fear they've been raised by a father or a mother, right? Or maybe they have a good mother and father and they just haven't been there and they felt abandoned by them. And this fear of abandonment just haunts them every single day of their life. So what do they do? Well, they latch on for rest. They latch on to rescuers. A lot of them will start following type one reformers or type eight challengers out there, like myself. I have a lot of you know friends who are loyalists. The majority, of, by the way, the majority of America, the majority of the world out there are loyalists right there. And again, this is very tribalistic thinking. So again, who do they follow? Oh, they follow AOC. They follow Donald Trump. They follow you know a gang or they follow a preacher. So you know this loyalist they can be very malleable, especially when they're young. So this is the problem. You know, a lot of young black youths without fathers, they become type six loyalists. They have this, where's my father? I'm abandoned. And who do they find to rescue them? Well, if they find a gang leader, then they'll all of a sudden, their, their theories of life will be influenced by that one gang leader who may be a type eight challenger or a type one reformer out there, right? Or, or he may follow a pastor, and then again, who may be a type one reformer or a type eight challenger out there. So, but again, their morals will be basically based upon who the rescuer is. They're not thinking for themselves. That's what a loyalist does. Now, what is a healthy version of a loyalist? Well, a healthy version is a person who can kind of think for themselves and kind of abandons group think, who doesn't abide by everything that group thinks and also doesn't abide by everything who they follow. So everything that pastor says, you know, they say, well, I believe when this pastor, but I don't believe everything, right? You know, I don't, I don't buy it hook, line, and sinker, right? Um, again, you'll find democratic loyalists who follow global warming and you'll say, hey, wait a minute, I'm, I'm going to believe global warming no matter what. I don't care what data you show me right? I'm going to take that to the grave. I'm going to take it. That sink is going to, is going to, is going to, that ship is going to sink and I'm going to go down with it. That's the unhealthy version of a type six loyalist. Now the type six loyalist also has a very, very, very unhealthy version, which can go counterphobic. Now what is counterphobic? It's destroying what you fear. And a lot of times people who are loyalists would do this. They will, they fear getting too close to someone because they fear getting hurt and they'll, then they'll destroy that, that relationship before they can get any further. And, uh, or they'll destroy, say, for example, if they, well, for example, if they fear, uh, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give this example. I don't want you to think they're all murderers, but type six loyalists, the, um, the, the counterphobic version who destroys what they fear, they tend to be a lot of times serial killers and murderers and everything like that. Uh, you know, for example, uh, a husband comes home who's so loyal to his family, he gets fired from his job. And then all of a sudden he fears that he can't provide for themselves and he kills them and he kills himself. That's a counterphobic personality that more than likely that's a counterphobic loyalist. And they, they can think like this. They can go into this dark place where they think, well, you know what? Life isn't worth it. And I'm just going to, you know, destroy everything instead of solving it. And that's when the type six loyalist goes really, really scary. But type six loyalists sometimes on the other counterphobic side, they will be very much kind of like a bipolar kind of relationship. Well, they will be fine destroying you, even if you're a close friend of a close friend, a close group, and if you don't abide by their loyalties um, that, they're, that they follow, they may just get rid of you and they will get, they'll be fine with it. And they're, a lot of times they're completely paranoid. They have trust issues. How can they trust you when they can't trust themselves? How can they trust you when they can't trust their parents, right? That's your typical type six loyalist when they're unhealthy. The enthusiast, moving on. I got to move on. The type seven, uh, type seven enthusiasts right here, <laughs> these people are, I love these people. They just love to have fun. They have a fear of missing out. Like, remember, I think I talked to you about my friend about this. This type seven enthusiast, they love, they can't stay still. If there's a surf that needs to be, if there's a wave that needs to be surfed, they'll, be, they'll go out there and they'll do it. You know, if they want to go to over there to Bali and, and, and uh, hop on a plane tomorrow, they'll do it. If it costs them their job, they'll do it. Um, and that's when they're unhealthy. Uh, a healthy version of enthusiasts, 
they'll kind of have, they'll, they'll settle down more. But an unhealthy enthusiast will just gallivant around the world. And again, they'll have no place of residence a lot of times. They'll be happy couch surfing, but they'll go from one country to the next. And, you know, just, you know, they just won't be able to settle down. But they live this life that is so grand. The only thing wrong with them is that, again, they don't settle down. A lot of times they don't want to get married. They don't want to have children, <laughs> you know. And even though if they do, in that, in their back of their mind, they're saying, you know, I really love the freedom, you know, and they don't want to be locked down. The lockdowns, the COVID lockdowns for a uh, uh, type seven enthusiast were just hor- were just horrible for them. They needed to just get out. So, and by the way, the type seven enthusiasts, they don't need to travel with friends. Sometimes, a lot of times, they're solo. Uh, but at the same time, they're they're very very smart. So don't try to talk them out of not traveling. Now, don't them they'll have a, they'll come up with a really good argument. All right, nothing really bad to say about them. Other than, hey, you know what? Just settle down, right? By the way, in movies, uh, when you write scientists, we don't write them as intellects. Most of, most of the time, we write them as type 7 enthusiasts. You know, the scientists who are willing to experiment on themselves for the betterment of mankind, like Egon. Uh, he was really written as like a type 7 enthusiast, even though we, we still consider him a type 5 intellect. But we still wrote him. Well, I never wrote him, but they, they still wrote him as enthusiasts. Um, Ray and Egon were more likely type 7 enthusiasts than, than type 5 intellects, even though I would still consider them one or the other. All right, type 8 challengers. We all know this type of personality because it is one of the most common personality types found in movies. They are your Rambos, your, Wolver- your Wolverines, your Deadpools, your uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger characters. These are the guys who are very much like type 1 reformers, except they are all about strength. And what do they fear? They fear being weak. They believe that in order to go through life, you need to be strong. Strong, strong, strong. So their fear, again, is just being weak. And everything is a test of strength. So what are they good for? Well, they will get you off your butt, working, and get you, and basically almost scare you straight. They are the real drill sergeants in real life. They make really good leaders, natural leaders. Um, They make really good coaches. You know, some of the best coaches out there are the people who push you, challenge you. You know, um, who was that one girl on, I think it was that weight watching show. What was it called? Uh, I forgot what it was, but I think it was Julian, Julian something. She would get in your face and just yell at you, yell at you, and yell at you. Um, And then, uh, then, but she was a type 8 challenger out there. Uh, again, Deadpool, he, he's a type 8 challenger, always challenging your, you know, the society, the rules and everything like that. And challengers, you know, rules to them are kind of, kind of just a, a gray area, right? Laws and rules and even, you know, saying the right thing to you, they would be very much uh, not, not very politically correct at all. And here's a really strange thing. <laughs> when people start learning about the Enneagram, they automatically... <laughs> they automatically say that anybody who's a, who uh, who offends them or who they feel intimidated by is usually a type three a type eight challenger because type eight challengers can be that intimidating. But the truth is, anybody can intimidate you. You know, anyone. So the, how you determine who a type eight challenge, challenger is is that how they view usually the law. And if, like, say for example, you know. Uh, like I say there's a speed limit out there, a type 8 challenger, where more than likely, if he's going fast, if, he, if he's late for work, uh, he will more than likely break the speed limit. The type 1, he will not break the speed limit, and he will say, you know what, I'm late for work, I'm going to take it on the nose. All right, so there's a difference between the two. But the type 1 and the type 8, they usually really, really get, uh, really, really uh, get, um, I guess, confused with each other. What's the bad thing about the type 8 challenger? Well, the type 8 challenger, he can come off as an asshole. And a lot of times he can be an asshole, <laughs> right? So that's the bad thing about it. And think when you think about the bad version of the, of the type 8 challenger, you think about Wolverine, you think about Deadpool, you think about Rambo, you know, how they're just in your face, not very likable people sometimes, you know, and you can tell because they're, you can tell it when you run into a type 8 because their personality is just so strong, overbearing, overpowering. And you're just intimidated by the strength of them, the way they talk down to you, right? The way they kind of tease you, the way they the way they push you down into the floor when they talk, because and and uh, and they could be very nice about it, but again, 
you know, they're just very intimidating. Very, even for myself, again, because I'm not a type eight. You know, people may think I'm a type eight, but I'm not. Uh, but they, um, but I, I met some type eights, and you know, they're smaller than me. But the way they talk, as I get intimidated by them. <laughs> okay, the last one. Oh, by the way, the, the type eight challengers again. They make great teachers, great coaches. I think I said that before, but that's I really don't want to like um I want to express how how good of a personality type they are because I may have I may have railed on them just a little too much, but they're good. All right. They make very good people. Uh the type the the type nine peacekeeper, the last one, people, before we go on. And again, it's, we're gonna wrap it up because the solution to all this is is uh pretty quick right after I finish up this. The type nine peacekeeper, these are people who just like to like who just like to keep the peace. These are people who cower. In the face of conflict, what do they fear? They fe- they actually fear conflict itself, and conflict is everywhere around of us, right? So, you know, they fear arguing. They fear, you know, they, they fear um, confronting people. So they, they just want to keep the peace. Now, sometimes some people may think of them as cowardly, and when when they are unhealthy, they are. So they don't make good leaders, all right? But a lot of times when they can embrace their leadership skills, they're really, really good. Pitmaster Keith, by the way, is a type nine peacekeeper. I've encouraged him to actually uh, um, embrace his uh, his uh, the personality types on the wings on on the side of him. So he's embraced the challenger side of him and also the the type one part of him. So when you hear him on the podcast, he's a lot more you know forthgoing out there. But again, when you put myself next to Keith, I have a much stronger personality, right? But the the type nine peacekeeper. They fear again. They check out. They 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 fear uh, conflict. So when there's people arguing, arguing or debating, they will just walk away because they don't want to just deal with it. They don't they don't want this, right? And if anybody has a strong opinion about something with themselves, they'll check out. They won't defend it. They won't engage in an argument unless it's someone they know very intimately. All right. So that's it. The type nine, there's like nine types of personality types. These are all found on the Enneagram. I didn't make any of this up. And uh, you can find more about it. I'm not going to go into it more because this podcast is running a little bit too late. And I think some of you may have checked out. If you did check out, check back in. All right. So now we're going to get in back the solution of like how again to fix yourself. Now, I, I described to you the nine types. And hopefully within those nine types, you've kind of identified your fear. And again, like I told you, that's the main point. That's why I spent so much time on this. We tried, the main thing is that I wanted you to understand your fear, understand your engine, understand your fear so you can control your your anger, your agenda, your paranoias, your fictional thinkings, maybe your, your, uh, your habit to flee or cower in the face of conflict. And, uh, and then understand that also fear is not exactly a bad thing, right? It gives us our greatest strength, but also remember our greatest strength is at the same time our greatest weakness. You remember how I went through every single nine types of these personality types and how their strengths were also their weaknesses. So, oh, by the way, the nine, the nine, I got to go on the strengths. What makes the type nine peacekeeper really great? They keep the peace. They create peace. Jared Kushner of the, the Trump administration, his son-in-law, he was the one who brokered all those peacekeeping deals in the Middle East. So a lot of times these people who are peacekeepers can bring two conflicting parties um, and then bring them together to create peace. You know who's another peacekeeper? Caesar Milan, the dog whisperer. Everything is about him being confident but peaceful. Confident but in control. So a peacekeeper who is confident, in control, yet in charge, well, you got a really you know, good type of winner there. And Caesar Milan, if you notice about him, he's always in control. He doesn't really, he doesn't really lose, lose it, not on camera at least, right? So again, there's more different types. Now, there's nine main types. On the Enneagram, there's nine main types of personalities, but there are different versions of these. There's thousands of different versions of these. So you'll run into all different types, right? Now, my, my, uh, my recommendation is to try to identify your fear. And once you identify your fear, then you can figure out your triggers and what is triggering me to go into this unhealthy mode of thinking. And your goal as you learn more about yourself, learn more about your personality type, is to pull yourself from being unhealthy and going back to healthy. Every single day, it's going to be an exercise to pull yourself back. You're, you're never going to be perfect. 
All right, and this is a lifelong journey, not a one-off that you're gonna find a solution to this podcast. This is very much like exercising, and like exercising, if you stop doing it, it you know you're gonna fail, you're gonna slip up, you're gonna get fat. So you're gonna always have to mentally fix yourself every single day, every single minute. And there's gonna be sometimes when you fail because, like I swear, some people they just trigger you more than others. Some some topics they trigger you more than than others, right? Some people they just get under your skin. And you can't stand them and all that. And you have to pull yourself back. It's literally a physical, mental exercise to pull yourself back to healthy. It's it's not just a matter of sitting on the couch with your psychologist and talking about your problems. You got to pull yourself. And when I say pull it, visualize pulling yourself back to this mentally healthy version where your fear doesn't control yourself. And so you can pull it back before you get angry. And even if you get angry, pull yourself back. Calm down. Calm down, right? Just calm down, okay? And that, that's the main thing. So the main thing is to identify what sets you off. And again, understanding that no one is perfect. We all slip up. And most average, but most average individuals, I'll let, I'll let you know this, most average people in this world right now, they don't practice me- good mental health practices and they don't pull themselves off from that cliff. They really don't. And in our world right now, we are encouraging people to be more emotional, to, to jump off this cliff of emotions, to riot, to, you know, cut off your schmeckle. If you're like, if you're like lost in your identity, trying to find yourself, they're saying, do it. Dope up your kid with drugs. Dope up yourself with drugs. You know, transform into a man or a woman. This, they'll push you off the cliff. Are you angry about white supremacy? Be more angry. Riot. You gotta riot. You know, you gotta yell. Go out there and get into your friend's face. You got a friend who disagrees with you, you should unfriend him. The truth can be both absolute and at the same time a little bit cloudy. All right? You have to admit that, right? So we can always tell people, and we we can always tell people, hey, you know what? I can see your truth, but maybe. It's also, there's also a gray area that we can kind of navigate and kind of come to a, an understanding, right? Now, last, some, some other last advice. We're getting to the end of this, people. Again, I, I kind of touched upon this in the past, of the, the, the earlier part of this podcast. But you really have to stop living in the past. Stop worrying about the future and living in the present. Because that's the only thing you can actually control. It's easier said than done. Especially when, you know, we remember pain more than the good times. And the pain is a lot of times stuck in the past. And then all of a sudden, we worry about our future. So the pain brings us to the future. And we say, oh my God, I have this pain back back then. And on, my future just screwed up because of what I experienced as a child. You know, but you, you, know, you have to take this mental awareness and pull yourself back. Don't live in the history. Only live in the present, right? And that doesn't mean that doesn't mean by being foolish and, and just saying, you know, I don't care about the future. You can care about the future, but don't let the future control your happiness. Because again, you really don't know what will happen. You really have no idea what will happen in the future. You really don't. Deal with your conflicts rather than numbing them with drugs and alcohol. That that's kind of a given, right? And always understand you will always remember the pain, even if you numb them with drugs and alcohol. Even if you numb them with um, psychological drugs. You know, a lot of psychiatrists out there, I'm not sure if I agree with um, psychiatry wholeheartedly. I can see it working, and I can also see the argument against it, right? Like I told you, you know, there are truths out there, and some of them are absolute, but some of them are a bit cloudy. And this is one of them where I'm, I'm saying it's a bit cloudy. Um, but... You know, I don't think taking a lot of psychological drugs, you know, helps you deal with the pain. That's just my opinion. Maybe it's wrong. Um, I do know, though, that the more you deal with your pain and acknowledge it exists, and also acknowledge, also to acknowledge there's nothing you can do to fix the past, unless you have a damn time DeLorean, a time machine DeLorean, or a, hold on, a DeLorean motor car that's turned into a time machine, <laughs> then you can fix it. But the more you acknowledge that the past can not be fixed and you just have to deal with it, deal with the pain that it caused, 
the easier it will become to live with it, right? Every single minute that you live with it, you get stronger by that much. It may not be, it may not feel like much every single day, but eventually your strength accumulates like bad debt. And eventually that pain becomes pretty much easy, like a walk in the park. You can deal with it. Um, it's pretty much like a death in the family. While, you know, sometimes they'll still be very painful, especially when it first happens. But over time, it gets easier and easier and easier. And it's not because you've, you've drank enough alcohol or took the right drugs. It's because every single day you've, you've confronted it. You've got stronger. You've acknowledged it. You, you remember that you can't, you can't change it. And all of a sudden, you start remembering the good memories and everything like that. Now, for myself, eventually, I'm going to have to deal with all those things too, about you know, deaths in the family and all those things. I have, but not with my immediate family, not with my parents. I have friends like Pitmaster Keith, he lost his father, and, uh, but he doesn't cry about it or nothing like that. He still misses his father. I have a lot of friends who actually, who, whose father they've, um, they've actually has passed away. Luckily, I haven't, but I know when that time comes, it's going to be very hard for me to deal with it. It's very scary. Um, but it's going to be a journey, it's, you know, and, and hopefully I can get through with it with friends, family. I'm never going to resort to drugs or anything like that. Uh, my friends didn't, and I hope you didn't either. But if you do, you know, if you did, maybe there's a new leaf there. Maybe you should try to stop the drugs. Don't numb it. Deal with it. Take the pain on your chest. You know, take the pain on the jaw, on the chin, right? Take the slugs. And then when you get knocked out on the mattress, Stand back up. Stand back, stand back up every single time because it's kind of like boxing, right? You keep standing up every single, but it's kind of like boxing, kind of not because in boxing three times, you, you get knocked down three times, it's over. In real life, you're going to get knocked down over and over again, but as long as you keep standing up, you'll keep on living and you'll start getting stronger. So keep on standing up. All right, people, that's it for the podcast. I hope this was helpful to you. Um, it was one of those podcasts, again, I thought I wanted to do, do, to do for a long time. Um, it's getting really late. It's 4.43 a.m. Man, I've been talking for a long time. And uh, I better go to bed because I have to get ready for a barbecue this weekend. And I got to start preparing already. It's already like Thursday or Friday. I'm still I'm not sure. I'm kind of I'm pulling a Joe. It's Thursday, right? It's Thursday. So I'm calling a, almost pulling a Joe Biden here. It's like 4.44 a.m. in the morning. I have an excuse, right? All right, people, I am out of here, and uh, I'm just going to start rolling the music here and uh, <laughs> checking out with my own podcast. everyone that's it for today i had fun podcasting if you like what you hear please share my podcast if you can't find me look on your favorite podcast platform and look for bbq two movies that's bbq to movies yeah the to is not the number two by the way it is to like terrell owens so that's bbq two movies catch you around